Hello, Erica. Happy Canada Day, Stephen. We're still at Happy Canada Day, Erica. We're still, uh, we did one more. We saw what the hell, Encore, Mm -hmm. for all the people that were clamoring for more, if they were, we did one anyway. It's for me. I was the one clamoring for more. I really just really enjoyed that previous story and... I'm I'm kind of having a rough anxiety day, and yeah. just watching Doctor Who is, it's just a nice thing. It's helping. Well, good, because sometimes the thought of, like, watching Doctor Who and doing a podcast gives you anxiety. Not not today. I think, I think because I s- started Doctor Who earlier in the day, and we had it planned, and we had, you know, Indian food, and it's our, our holiday tradition. It was just, like, a nice, warm, cozy thing to do, and I wanted to keep doing it. Well, good. Yeah, because we won't have uh, fireworks here tonight. Because of the global pandemic. Because of the global pandemic. Uh, although I suspect that, um, <laughs> I was going to say, as it gets dark, never gets dark <laughs> this time of year, uh, maybe we'll be hearing and seeing some uh, unofficial fireworks celebrations throughout the evening and into the night, perhaps. Yeah, like, it's it's weird that this holiday, this holiday, this holiday falls holiday. in the middle of a week. Holiday is Canadian Thanksgiving for the tourist, but yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it's on a Wednesday, and I have to to work tomorrow. So if I were to go to bed at my normal time, it would still be very bright outside. I would have to stay up to like midnight for it to get dark enough to properly see fireworks. Yeah, for those that don't know, normally, and then when we don't have global pandemics, uh, here in Edmonton, we fire off the fireworks at eleven p.m. And it's still not really dark enough for for fireworks. It's like by the end of the fireworks demonstration, then it's about dark enough to to be perfect for fireworks. But like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, that's, uh, it reminds me of, um, forgive me if I've said this story on this podcast before. I think we already talked about the fireworks before. I think you're going to talk about um, Pink Floyd, but that's okay. Go ahead and do it. It's it's <laughs> become an, it's become an annual tradition, so go on. How did you know I was going to talk about Pink Floyd? <laughs> like I said, holiday tradition. Please tell the story. June 28th, 1994, saw Pink Floyd. Of course, they, they are used to going on when it's dark out, and then they step on the stage and like all the lighting effects and everything. Outdoors. Outdoors. It was in Commonwealth Stadium. Seats 58,000 people or whatever it is. And around about 10.30, it was still way too light out, and they just sort of, huh, let's get on stage. <laughs> they just sort of saunter on stage. We could see them. Hey, there's Pink Floyd. We weren't supposed to see you, but the sun is still up, so... But it was a good show. And they played a bit of the Doctor Who theme in uh, uh, one of these days. I'm going to cut you up in little pieces. And I screamed my head off. Said, yeah, Doctor Who. Woo. See, I feel like now it's really been Canada Day. Like, go. that's what I needed. Do we? Ne- I need to go scrape the, uh, <laughs> the RSS feed and see if I said that same story last Canada Day and the one before that. We'll, someday we'll have a supercut of just all of the times that you tell the story and like you know do you did you say scream my head off every year do you say scream my butt off yeah. you know how, how do you phrase it i don't know and all of a sudden skeletor shows up for the and then <laughs> since i joke that was a joke for for you incomparable listeners here on the incomparable <laughs> network Right. Anyway, we we have just watched. Oh, oh okay. He's I, putting up his finger. I do have one thing to add uh, to tie back to Day of the Daleks. I did check Brett BritBox in Canada. I at the end of the last episode, I lamented that uh, I had in my request to get the proper aspect ratio for Day of the Daleks on BritBox, they mistakenly put up the special edition. 
to be fair, with the correct aspect ratio. Uh, and I wanted to see if that was still the case. And indeed, that is still the case. The The Day of the Daleks that exists on BritBox in Canada, at the very least, is the special edition. I am sorry, or you're welcome, depending on your point of view. <laughs> I appreciate that follow-up. That was very important. It's rare that we remember to do follow-up on this podcast, so I feel it was important to do so. Well, that's because, you know, this time it was only a matter of like an hour in between recording as opposed to a month. That's true, or or longer. Uh, I might, if if we had uh, done another, maybe when we do another episode, if it takes like three weeks for us to watch part two uh, of Curse of Peladon, I might repeat the Pink Floyd story. Who knows? Uh, or the story about the BritBox thing. Uh, maybe that'll be the new tradition. I'll just repeat the BritBox story <laughs> every Canada Day after I've talked about the Pink Floyd one. Anyway, Curse of Peladon, episode one, serial code MMM. Mm, that's some good Doctor Who. I don't know if that is your uh, opinion or not, but... Uh, it is. So maybe, you know, I don't really remember very many serial codes unless... Like there's something about them that relates to the story itself. Uh-huh. Maybe I can, maybe I can remember this one now. Mm. I'll probably more be thinking specifically of David Troughton, but <laughs> but yeah. Mm. Yes, the um, uh, Crash Test Dummies uh, had a song called "The Curse of Peladon." The Curse of Peladon. <laughs> the Curse of Peladon. The Curse of Peladon. Uh, the Curse of Peladon. Thank you, not Peladon. Or, as I said uh, when we were watching this, the uh, program director on the local PBS station that uh, was doing a pledge drive the one time I saw this, The Curse of Peladon. That's also <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> I still love Bill Stanley, though, but still incorrect. It's cute, though. And <clears throat> yeah. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, wait, uh, so David Troughton's in this, uh, the son of Patrick. A young, I think he's like 21 or 22, mm-hmm. I think of this, like a big like he was only an extra in enemy of the world and then he had i think his first on-screen role was in the war games as that uh that army officer and here we go like two three years later and he like gets the the lead guest role so quite a trajectory from young mr troughton mm-hmm. yeah and he's he's great yeah like i'm gonna i'm gonna try to be in case people are watching this sort of along for their first time i'll try to be light on spoilers since i know what happens in the rest of the episodes fairly well because i've seen it a bunch of times but uh but yeah i think it like he this is a a delightful start to an episode or to a story you know it's it it doesn't feel jarring like i was worried it might feel jarring to have the doctor and, Mm -hmm. and and joe just off on an adventure but nope it feels feels fine um this is it's it's like getting back to the classic doctor lands somewhere intrigue is happening doctor gets caught up in the intrigue and we follow along and, and see what happens and it's it's really quite delightful it is um uh, i i like the story it it's it was written at a time when the uk was uh, in the final stages of deliberation about joining the European Common Union, for uh, soon to be known as the, uh, of course, the Un- European Union. They joined in 73. This is 72. So, yeah, how topical with Brexit and all that have happened. Uh, yeah, if you watch this episode in reverse, actually, it, uh, it mimics what happened in Brexit. Um, including the giant statue of a monster falling. Uh, it's very odd, actually, how it works out that way. But, yes. Uh yeah, um I I think it's it's fun how 
you know, the doctor is just trying to take the TARDIS for a test run. And Joe just happens to be, you know, all dolled up for a night on the town. Like we mentioned that last week, uh, last week, <laughs> last story <laughs> yeah. uh, was peak hair for Joe. Like she really did have great hair. Um, this is a different kind of peak hair because she's got her hair real done up. Like special because she's going to go on a date on a date and it's nice that the dress that she happens to be wearing is a very sort of like princessy looking dress yeah. like that comes in very very handy i wonder if that was arranged by whoever moved the tardis off course uh to say oh perfect this is the perfect time his companion is dressed for a night out just like a princess would be um yeah, not not. Uh, maybe I'm trying to think of costume choices before a story uh, kicks off in the past. I know there's certainly in the future this happens, but uh, it's so it's not uh, it's not a unique instance of coincidence um, deciding what costume the companion's going to wear. Yeah, well, up to this point, I think most of Joe's outfits have just been real funky or mm. cool looking and didn't necessarily play directly into the plot. In yeah. this case, you know, it, it very much does. But honestly, she could have worn anything. And who is yep. to say on Peladon what royals would wear? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there, there's a like a, a little guy in a box um, mm-hmm. with Arcturus. And then there's a, a giant thing in a cloak. With uh, Wang and a cape. Wang and a cape. I I I decided to play it safe on that, and <laughs> you did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's what we we didn't make it up, but we did repeat it on Verity. So uh, I figured, yes. yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more of a shower curtain, really, when you think about it. It is. I think the cape came extra. Was the cape added? Actually, think of this looks. Uh-huh. It did. Yeah, that's right, because it looks like a Wang. Yep. Well, now it just looks like a Wang and a cape. Mm-hmm. And then there you go. Yep, yeah, that is that is the story I heard. But you know, you're you're right. Maybe they wouldn't necessarily know what the current fashion is on Earth. However, Peladin's mother was yes. the woman from Earth or The Earth Woman. Mm-hmm. What a racist. Hepesh is. Yeah, Hepesh is very yeah. backward looking. Um but yeah, so I mean, maybe he would have they would have some idea what kind of clothing like you know say say joe is dressed in like a mini skirt and you know thigh high boots well thigh high boots would actually match peladin i was just gonna say that is what peladon's wearing that's what the men are wearing anyway you don't see any women in this episode but Mm -hmm. except for joe because it's it's like what is it on pain of death you're not allowed to be in the throne room unless you are a man of of standing or a woman of royal blood something like that men of state or i can't remember what the uh, term was yeah yeah, wow. And and you want to let this planet into your galactic federation? <laughs> wow, okay. Way to roll out the red carpet there. Yeah, we we believe in this mighty monster who no longer exists. He controls everything and women aren't allowed to speak and think. But anyway, although to be fair, he doesn't want Peladon to be allowed into the um mm-hmm. uh the common union, the federation mm-hmm. because he thinks he'll just be a puppet. Yeah, I mean, Hepish certainly certainly has uh, some backward ideas about anything. But, I mean, he he's passionate about it. Like, you can tell that he is, he, he feels what he's feeling very strongly. And I really like the the relationship at the very beginning between um, Torbis and Peladin and Hepish mm. and Peladin. It's like, this is, this is a really kind of a cool, like, you know, they lay it out without it didn't feel super information dumpy to me like it it kind of it kind of is it's like when you think about it they are just you know laying out this is the history of this guy but the way that they do it feels 
so natural. Like this is a a really historic and important and momentous moment in the history of this planet and in this this kid's life because he's still technically not anointed as the king. Uh, so when you're on the verge of such a big thing, like that's those are moments where you look back, you know, at how did we get here? Mm-hmm. And to have have that sort of reminiscing, like the whole speech about how you know, I remember the first time I came into this throne room, that felt totally natural. Yeah. And then the recount and like how they like sort of pick up the story from each other and tell it, you know, back and forth, you know, and, and you said, and I said that you would be the greatest king and, you know, and I didn't want to sit on the throne because it was really my father's and just all of that stuff felt very, very natural and really touching. And just the way that, even in the first scene, Peladon is referring to Torbus as, you know, like a father mm. and how he had raised him since his own father, the king, had died. It, I feel like I have such a great idea of who this person is, actually who these people are. Sadly, you know, I, I did feel like I actually kind of got to know Torbus, all right, even though he died super fast. I recognize, like, who he is, how much he has taught Peladon, and, and now you know, the the frisson between between Habish and Torbus and then now that's sort of transferred on to Peladin because he clearly I think took more from Torbus in terms of his thoughts for what he wants to do for his planet and his people in the future. And uh yeah, that you know, the push and pull between between mysticism and superstition and religion and and history mm-hmm. and a you know a future that is science and getting out of your comfort comfort zone and cooperation and like that's that's something that all societies have to deal with it at some point or another so it feels very um very real it did and and two things with that it it i thought like some of the expositionary dialogue and like stating of titles i feel like since they were in the throne room that feels like how like it's official speak like here we speak the official language of the court and we state our titles you know kind of like when you're in watching like the house of commons in question period you know the honor the right honorable something something from the they say the name of the the writing where they're from and not the actual person's name and you sort of so it felt like a natural thing and also you know them just sort of telling the tale of of what happened when you were a boy and all that i feel like a society as steeped in tradition perhaps stuck in tradition they've probably had that same conversation many times before but that's just what they do they tell stories of the past that's how they ensure and 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 embolden their own traditions by just keep telling the same stories to to just hammer the point that this is where we come from um and perhaps that's why they are where they are right now sort of debating why they should be in the federation mm-hmm. yeah and like you know the legend of of the great Agador, mm-hmm. like that's that's another thing that has clearly been passed down through generations. Although I thought it was was kind of funny that uh, Hepish is uh, is speaking up an awful lot when you know he, the questions have not necessarily been addressed to him. So like the the delegations are are asking questions and Hepish mm-hmm. is just jumping in and saying, "Oh, it was because of because of blah blah blah." Um, but then when uh, when one of the delegates says, I think we need to hear this, I think it was one of the, the ice warriors, yeah. says, I think we need to hear this legend. Hepish doesn't say, like, then he looks 
to Peladin yeah. to to get permission, and you know he Peladin nods, and then Hepish tells the story. I was like, why is that the only time you're asking for you know your ruler's permission, whereas you're just beaking off every other time you feel like you need to? And I I understand why. It's because he feels very passionate that he wants to you know squelch this deal as mm. soon as he can. Yeah. He's also, he's basically the doctor where he is the spokesperson for the royal in the room, just as the doctor is for Princess Josephine, you know, um, the negotiator while, you know, the royal bit is just sort of there as an, as an observing kind of thing. Yeah. I guess I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't really thought about that because it struck me that Peladin wanted to speak for himself and, mm. and, you know, rule for his people. But yeah, maybe that is the case. Hmm. Mm. Lots of layers to this yeah. story already. Look at that. Yep. Yeah. And here in this story, this is the Joe that I was waiting for. All through the last story when she's just sitting there meek and mild and, you know, just basically standing to the side of the doctor with a, like, you know, a scared or almost confused look on her face. I'm just shaking my head going, that's, that's the, I, I know she's done better than this. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I also knew she will do better than this because this is a fantastic story um, without going into future detail. I'm just saying here, just in episode one, she's amazing. Not only uh, does she pick up right away, like what the doctor's doctor's saying. And I mean, the doctor, obviously very smart as well. Somebody asking, you know, is she of royal blood? He's smart enough. You know, it's like from the Ghostbusters. When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. So he immediately... You, you don't know that quote. I don't remember that, no. Mm. All right, well, that's another movie that we need to watch. Uh, but <laughs> after Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, okay. the Ghostbusters. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the doctor says, yeah, why do you ask? Yeah. Why do you even bother to ask? Uh, and then we learn about their backward throne room rules. Uh-huh. And she is immediately on it. Like, she just, she she plays into it. Uh, there's a very nice touch at the end when they everybody's leaving the throne room where the rest of the delegates do the thing. Uh, I love it in science fiction, television, and movies where they create different body language for different um, different people on different planets. Yeah. Um, so here, uh, the polite way to take your leave of someone um, and, I don't know, give fealty or whatever is to you know, put your hand up to your, to your chest palm down and you know bend forward and bow and everybody else does that the doctor does that you can kind of see the ice warriors sort of doing that to the best of their ability in their costumes and joe doesn't like she gives a little bit of a nod of her head Mm -hmm. uh to show that you know she recognizes she is an equal with him and uh and then you know she follows it up by saying see you later uh which i think was played for laughs but again what is he, what does Peladin know? Like, yeah. he, that, why would that that wouldn't necessarily seem weird to him? So it didn't seem like he took it amiss, a although the doctor did. Yeah, yeah. Why why are you wearing a dress? I mean, we should be wearing short shorts like I do here <laughs> with long boots. What's the problem here? Yeah, he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't have thought otherwise. Joe to Joe, it's just like, hey, cool, setting up date. This is fun. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah, and this is this is a case where there's actually some chemistry right off the bat. Like I think there was some real life chemistry between the two. I think at the time, I feel like every single romantic interest that uh, plays opposite Katie Manning, <laughs> she was involved with at the time, either before or after or during. I don't remember, but I, I think there was uh, there was some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you blame them? Katie Manning is just. Th- th- a wonderful, lovely person and a delight and just charming as all get out. Katie Manning has had a life. Mm-hmm. 
a life. I still think of the this or that that she did with Kim and Sage from Head Over Fields and Ingrid Oliver at uh, L.I. Who when we heard a lot. Like Katie Manning hung out with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, who had had passed on by this point, but still, you know, like like this is the type of life. Mm -hmm. Brian Jones, Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix, Katie Manning. Yeah. Yeah. Ingrid Oliver, I thought almost was going to die on stage. She literally dropped her microphone because she was like, what is happening right now? Oh, that was one of my greatest moments at a, at a convention because yeah, yeah, Katie Manning. Katie Manning is, is the business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have boring technical notes, but I don't want to squash your, uh, your uh, other otherwise uh, awesome glee about Mm -hmm. this episode one. I'm not, I'm not done talking about Joe because she deserves it after the uh, the previous story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also climbing a hillside in those shoes. Mm -hmm. Very, dangerous she was right to point out that she almost broke her neck uh i think you were going to mention the adr in that scene that was one of the boring technical things so if you want to keep uh, is this my is this my moment for that for that particular technical thing yes the adr in that uh because the wind blowing machine was way too loud for uh the actors to be heard so they had to you know it's adr in doctor who's rare Please explain ADR. ADR is additional dialogue recording where the actors re-record their lines <clears throat> over top of their they over they dub their lines basically, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's more successful than other times. Mm-hmm. My main complaint is when actors in what obviously looks like a very loud and crowded scene are just sort of like talking like this and like how wide you should be yelling. They are both yelling. They are both being directed well yeah. in how they are doing that. <clears throat> the the sync itself is also very good. I'm uh, I was talking to Nick Briggs, one Chicago Tardis, however long ago, and he said he was talking about like ADR and how it's difficult for him to sort of like watch the screen and try and match what he's saying. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so instead, what he'll do is like just play it for me play the line for me. Mm. And then like, you know, so, oh, the TARDIS is over that way. And he'll remember the cadence. Oh, the TARDIS is over that way. He can just repeat it just that way. And so I wonder if that's how they did it because it was bang on. Like I watched some of that. They go, that is alarmingly good for a TV show that often would probably just do things in one take. So good job on the actors and good job on Lenny Maine directing them to be yelling in a windstorm, which is what they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we recently watched uh, She's All That, which is a movie that I think is all that. I really quite right. like that film. And it had really bad ADR almost all the way through. I had forgotten how bad that was. And that, like, bad ADR is something that just like it gets under my skin and I have I have trouble with it just as a as a viewer. That's one of my little my little bugaboos that I don't mm-hmm. like. Uh, and I didn't even like it didn't even twig to me that that was actually ADR until you said it as we were watching the scene. You're like, yeah, it's some of the ADR. And then I, and then I was like, oh my God, of course it is. But it's so good yeah. that even I didn't notice it at first. I didn't notice until I watched the um, the show with the um, production notes on. Mm-hmm. So, so Yeah, bra friggin' vo because, you know, we've got like a multi-million dollar movie and she's all that, that <laughs> they couldn't get even remotely correct. Mm-hmm. And here is a television show that was made for, you know, three pence and a shoestring and yeah. and they have it perfect. Yeah. Maybe it's a BBC thing because I remember there's a, a similar scene about yelling over a wind machine essentially in the first episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mm-hmm. in 1981 where David Dixon and Simon Jones both have to yell over it. And they actually have like um, like studio footage of them recording their lines over this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
that's wow. That is amazing because it, it's it's seamless and they're yelling over wind and that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Yelling over wind. Maybe maybe all ADR should just only be for scenes of yelling over wind. I agree. I think they should <laughs> just play in. Honestly, I wonder if they do this. Um, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but um, I was interviewing Nicola Bryant on stage at a Chicago TARDIS as well. And I was asking about how when she directed um, a Big Finish play. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think of how this went, though, because she basically the scene was in a loud environment and she required the actors to be yelling and they weren't doing it enough for her laying it. So I think they basically like plugged in noise into their headphones or something and then that forced them to sort of raise their voice naturally as opposed to imagining that you're in a loud place. It's a lot easier when you're actually experiencing it. So I thought that was a good directorial touch from Nicola Bryant and um, and maybe that's that would be a good way to do ADR in the future. Hmm. This has been like one of the name droppiest episodes of Lazy Doctor Who we've had in a while. I am sorry, but at least it wasn't a like, oh, well, as you know, I spoke with and then not. But I actually used those. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was important. It, it was, yeah, I, those were relevant experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just yeah. feel, you know, you're kind of, it's definitely more relevant than uh, the doctor in the previous episode yeah. name dropping. Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, Boney. Yeah. Bony. I know. It's like mm-hmm. when I was talking to Eccles on stage there at Gallifrey One. <laughs> no, no, do not do that. No, mm-hmm. I did talk to him on stage though. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to Joe. Yeah, Joe. Uh, I have one other bit of t- uh, boring technical news, but that but I can wait. Yeah. Uh, Joe. Yeah, Joe. Um, also, she's the one that finds the tunnel. Um, you know, to get into the which yeah. is which is you know the, the doctor goes one way, she goes the other way. But I love her. Yeah reaction like come on doctor and doctor's like, what is it it's a tunnel come on come like on. it's just <laughs> yeah. oh that is great i feel like their banter in this episode is is, is some of the better dr joe banter mm-hmm. um and i do tend to think it works better when it's just the doctor and joe as opposed to the doctor joe and the brig i don't think i don't think that that triad works quite as well um as just just the two of them so so i like seeing them off planet and uh kind of you know playing off of each other in in this way yeah i the the line i actually don't uh, catch them many times i've seen this before is when uh princess josephine is as uh, describing to king peladon of, of their trials mm-hmm. of uh the shuttle crashing and oh the flight the pilot was terrible or something like that i've never caught that and then the reaction of like the doctors what it's like <laughs> Feeling kind of sheepish that he's the one that screwed it up. Yeah, somethingly inefficient yeah. was the was, was the term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good moment. I never caught that before. It's a good little bit of comedy there. Oh yeah, like I I, I noticed I didn't catch the doctor's reaction in the background, yeah. and I had not put together that yeah, sure enough, he was the pilot, and she was totally uh totally zinging him mm-hmm. uh, in a way that he could not respond under these circumstances. No, delightful. Uh, it's it's neat. I like you know. I like the banter between those two. They they both sort of give and get. Mm-hmm. You know, the doctor uh, takes his, um, in the previous story, takes his uh, gag off while Joe is mm-hmm. still stuck with hers on. Is I have a good mind to keep you like that. You know, like mm-hmm. just fun little banter. Like, you know. I didn't find that oh. fun. Mm-hmm. I found that in that story. Like if that, if that had happened in this story right. after she was, you know, kind of beacon at him a little bit in a fun uh-huh. way, maybe that would have been okay. But in, in, in Day of the Daleks, right. where she has nothing to do and is just, <laughs> right. you know, asking asking questions. Uh, it, it, it felt really icky and no good to me. Well, now she gets her back 
that mm-hmm. up. Yeah, because she is the way the way that this has been <clears throat> set up for them, and mm-hmm. the way that the doctor has has set this up is that she is his superior. Right. So she's the one that's in charge, which I think is is very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else? Uh, we once again exceeded the uh, episode duration while talking about said episode, even with the tangents about. Me interviewing people at, at conventions and fireworks and Pink Floyd. I feel like if we cut it down to just the talk about this uh, episode, we're probably in the neighborhood at the same amount of time. There was a giant mirror ball that came up out of Ooh. the center of the stadium for Comfortably Numb, which ended the show. It was pretty, you would have been dazzled. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I love, I love a giant mirror ball. I, was it at least kind of dark by then? Oh, yeah, because that was like. 12 30 oh, okay. close to one o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning at that point so yeah it was pretty dark i think uh i think the, there's a concert film from the 94 tour uh if uh, you need to get some sleep i can find that and put it on for you yeah yeah that's the thing about me whenever i hear pink floyd i yeah. immediately get sleepy it's just a thing i like the uh end of dogs three different was it pigs i think it's pigs Anyway, it's got a bit of a rocking beat to it. Sure. Did you have some other technical thing about this uh, story you wanted to mention? David Gilmore is one of my favorite guitarists. Um, yes. <laughs> I don't... I never interviewed him. I, I'm i not sure if this was uh, a conscious homage on the part of Dudley Simpson, but when the Ice Warriors... We don't even talk about the Ice Warriors that much. I love how they are, of course, treated with suspicion yes. through the doctor's eyes because in the past they are evil and they're bad guys, but right now... They're not. Um, we'll see in the future. Um, but when the when they're hiding in the uh, in the corridor behind the curtain, and then an ice warrior trundles by, um, the music starts. There's a bit of a timpani theme going on, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if that is a conscious homage back to the Seeds of Death, which Dudley Simpson also did the music for, which is very heavy in timpani, mm-hmm. especially when Ice Warrior is on there. It's not the same theme, but it's the same instrument. I'm wondering if that is conscious or not. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. it was if it was conscious. I mean, he did <clears throat> both of them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how many years previous was that? Like three. Yeah, I feel like that's not so long that you would have necessarily forgotten. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I did like that scene too because yeah, uh oh, there's an ice warrior. Yeah, that's bad news. And then suddenly we we learn oh these ice warriors are part of some galactic federation that's dedicated to peace. Yeah. Um. What? I also love how, like, it's not like a dramatic reveal. Ice Warriors, look out! Mm-hmm. We just see it walking by in the hallway. I just think, what a great sort of, like, mm-hmm. surprise, not even, a, like, sort of a surprise appearance of this uh, of this past villain. Mm-hmm. Just sort of wandering down a hallway. Yeah, yeah. it's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that is another thing that I really love about mm-hmm. this story is we just jump right in and there are so many aliens. It's not just, like, the Doctor... And Joe end up on an alien planet, and you know now they're they're dealing with all of the uh, the people of Peladin. No, 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 it's the people of Peladin. But you get Alpha Centauri there, yeah. and you get the Ice Warriors there, and then you get um, Arcturus that is like a he- a gooey head yep. under a dome on a box. Yeah, with a gun. With which a, destroys vases. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like, and it's like, what if, what if that vase was like a, like a prized relic of this? <laughs> right. You know, that was like a dedicated to Agador, and you just destroyed it as a display of your own strength, yeah. like wow, or insecurity. Yeah, basically, that's that's what it what it came off like. But just the variety in the design <clears throat> of the aliens and 
their different voices. Uh, I I will just say right now that I love Alpha Centauri. Love, 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 <laughs> love, 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 love Alpha Centauri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we were at Chicago TARDIS uh, a few years back, who were we interviewing? Anyone? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, possibly, but but th- that's not germane to this. Right. Uh, there was somebody who had a bang on, amazing Alpha Centauri costume. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it was fantastic, but it was such a big um, costume as ah, you can yeah, as yeah. you can imagine. Uh, like it, it looked like Alpha Centauri. They couldn't get it home. Like they had managed to bring it in pieces and they constructed it to be able to trundle around the mm-hmm. convention and, you know, many pictures taken. It was it was fantastic. But they couldn't they couldn't get it home. So they at the end of the weekend, they were selling that costume for like it was like two hundred or two hundred and fifty bucks or something yeah. like that. And I remember we were there with uh Lynn and Michael Thomas and Michael really, really wanted to buy that to yeah. bring it home. And I was like, you know, I was being the good friend to Lynn and mm-hmm. saying, no, Michael, bad idea, Michael. And yet in my heart, I was saying, oh, I really, really want somebody I know to have this costume. Yeah. So I don't know who ended up with that Alpha Centauri costume or if it just got, you know, in trash, just thrown in the, the bin behind the hotel. But uh but if you're out there and you still have it, if somebody picked that up, like take a picture of it and let me know that it's still it's somewhere that it's being cared for because that would make me happy. I mean, I wanted it too, but to get it back to Canada would have been even oh, worse. It would have been hell. Mm-hmm. So basically what you're saying is the Alpha Centauri costume came in peace but went in pieces. I am not saying that at all. It came in pieces and we hope went in peace. Yes, that's right. That's right. What movie is that from? I have no idea. It's from a movie. I think Dolph Lundgren utters it. It's a line. We come in peace. You go in pieces or something. That that rings a bell, but it's not something that I uh, that I know well enough. I'm sure somebody will tweet it at us, but we'll probably just look it up as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> is it Dolph Lundgren or is it, what's his name from The Simpsons? Uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger proxy, uh, uh, Rainier Wolf Castle. I could be conflating the two. It does. It does sound Simpsonsy. Yeah, but I think it's an actual thing. You go and peace. <laughs> I remember the TV line. Or is it like Jean Claude Van Damme or something? No, it was definitely Dolph Lundgren. Okay. It's definitely Dolph Lundgren or Rainier Wolfcastle. Either of those. Not Arnie. Not Stallone. Not Rowdy Roddy Piper. In that movie where they they live, which I've also not seen. Which we'll watch right after we watch Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, which we watch after Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. No. Despite featuring Doctor Who alumnus Deep Roy as all the Chumblies. Chumblies. He also played a Chumbly. Um, What are they called? Oompa Loompas. I was going to say Chumba Wumba next, but that's also (laughs) wrong. Tub thumping and all that. Yeah. Uh, where are we wrapping this up? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> I don't even know. I feel like this is possibly the most off the rails that we have ever gotten on this show. But you know what? It's it's a holiday, yeah. and we're a little loopy at the the end of a a, a mini marathon here. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It, it can be a little loopy. You know, we could have watched a whole other episode. We were going to watch another episode, so this is just filling the limbo time in between us not mm-hmm. watching it. Yeah. If if I didn't have to work tomorrow, if yeah. this was like a proper holiday holiday. Yeah. Uh, like we're getting close to my bedtime here. Um, if it was a proper holiday, I would absolutely be up for watching the rest of the story because it is so fun and I would mm-hmm. just love to keep going. Like if I could quit my day job, we would get through Lazy Doctor Who so much faster 
So what I'm saying is, please, if you are an incomparable member, t- <laughs> tick the box yeah. for Lazy Doctor Who. We're that close. We are that close to <laughs> retirement. If you support Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network, we can retire and watch more episodes. And we can watch a story a day. We can finish like Sylvester McCoy in a weekend. Well, that would be great to just get it over with. <laughs> there you go. I was, that was the little pitch across the plate there for you to swack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we need probably a few lot more people. Um, so please tell your friends. Uh, join the conference. You know what? Yeah. Tell your friends if you want, but uh, tell your eccentric billionaire friends. Those are the friends that we need we need you to tell. I agree. The the ones who would like you know put their feet in Kleenex boxes and just have like one thing on the TV on at all times. Except, except instead of Ice Station Zebra on the TV all the time like Howard Hughes did, there'd be like a HomePod or something. It's just Lazy Doctor Who episodes mm-hmm. streaming around the clock. That's the type of person we need to donate money for us. Yes. Yeah. Basically, we, we need a, a sponsor, a patron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. A benefactor. Yes. Yes. So uh, eccentric billionaires of the world unite no that's not what i mean no. just just help us out they, that's all they wouldn't unite they wouldn't know how to do that no. um, yeah. kurt spelvon <laughs> that, uh... i was just gonna say actually billionaires of the world please cease to be billionaires yeah. that's 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 not called for sirs actually yeah give us your money and then we'll spread it around a little bit more possibly um any, anything else on the Curse of Peladon? I'm sure I could come up with something else if we don't make this stop. All right. Uh, because it's, I really, really like this story, and yeah. I still I still really, really like this story. Well, good. Well, we'll watch the, uh, the last three episodes at a later date. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this little mini marathon. Uh, no promises on when we'll be back, but you know that we will be back because we're lazy, except for today, where we spent our national holiday with you, dear listener, uh, watching various episodes of Doctor Who. And we thank you for for being here and listening to all of these episodes and hanging in here for this epic links yeah. <laughs> lazy Doctor Who episode that this is. Indeed. All right. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.